Bobos and TKOs, we are live, episode 37, here in the Valley, I'm your host Shane Gillette, and this week we have plenty of MMA action to break down, recapping the PFL versus Bellator Champions event, although there was not many champions via champions with injuries and, and fight fallouts, UFC Mexico, Mexico City and then we are previewing the UFC Apex Vegas 87 this weekend. An early card for those Saturday, um, you know, brunch people. It'll be a good one. So episode 37, let's jump right in. In some booked fights, we don't have a lot, but we have Michael Johnson making a quick turnaround, taking on the steamroller, Matt Frivola, May 11th. That's a certified banger. That'll be one hell of a scrap. We got tough OG legend Court McGee taking on a good, very good Alex Murano, April 6th. That should be a fun one as well. And after all the conversation, I guess you could say speculation, Henry Cejudo will not be retiring. He has called for Brandon Moreno, who, who you know, obviously has since lost, and we can, we can discuss that later, uh, uh, recapping UFC Mexico City. But uh, Henry Cejudo not retiring. I'm, I'm, I'm a little caught off guard by that. I know we talked about maybe him being injured um, and not being able to spar and prepare fully for Marab Dwalashwili. But man, did he look older, slower, and just not very good. And I don't think that you want to keep fighting like that in your career. I am my first MMA love and passion was all behind the BJ Penn train. And we've seen how he ended his career. I thought Henry Cejudo was going to, you know, try to avoid that. But he came back for a reason. I think he needs to fight, keep making some bread. That's my guess. So a little shocked by that announcement. Dana White dropping bombs at the UFC post-fight interview press conference and the week before. We have UFC 306 Mexican Independence Day official at the Sphere for September 14th. I better make some sales. That's going to cost a pretty penny to be in attendance there. But oh my goodness, would that be a good time? And then before the fight this weekend, we had Raul Hosas Jr. and his team calling off the fight right before walkouts. It was trying to be rebooked for March 2nd, but supposedly that wasn't the case. Very interested to see how this all shakes out. Um, as they're not uh, rebooking the fight with Ricky Tercios. Um, supposedly, they were trying to rebook it. Things didn't happen. So really intriguing things to see what happened there. Supposedly, he wasn't feeling good, dizzy. You would think in front of the Mexico City fans against another Mexican fighter, he would have done whatever he could do to make this happen. But he's very young. You know, He's not even 20 years of age. Lots of variables there. I've heard of fighters get sick, just stomach sickness from nerves before a fight. Uh, Maybe, you know, some diarrhea type things. And um, they had, you know, taken a couple weeks to get that fight back and have won their fight. So maybe there is benefits here. But I couldn't imagine the Mexican fans and the bummer uh, of that fight not happening, you know, especially when they've made weight, they've done the whole thing. And you know Ricky's feeling a certain way about that. He's gone to social media and expressed his feelings. Brutal situation, tough for the Mexico City fans. Really excited, wanted to see that fight. 
Outside of that, though, we had the PFL versus Bellator Champions event. The original card booked with Bellator via PFL Champions as Bellator is now under the PFL umbrella. They're going to keep that brand for a couple days and it'll all be PFL, uh, especially the um, overseas stuff. They're trying to get Bellator in Europe and PFL. Originally, this card was straight stacked. I was super hyped. As weeks went by, champions from one side or the other were falling out, injuries. There was only two real champs via champs bouts here. For me, I've been saying since they've merged that the Pelator prize fighters are higher quality and that they will be putting the PFL brand on their back. Um, I think there was a lot of validation to that that we'll dive into here in a second. But also, I really wanted to see if they could steal the show from UFC Mexico City on a not very big card. We only broke down three fights pre the event and uh, see if they could steal MMA fans. I really don't think that was the case. Again, a lackluster card in my opinion. I was not super stoked by the fights. Anyways, the results we had in the prelims, the quote boxer woman stud champion Olympic gold medalist turned to MMA fighter wanting to win in both uh, sports. Well, Clarissa Shields got a very, very close split decision victory over Kelsey DeSantis as they were fighting, I believe, at 165 pounds. It's hard to find quality women fighters for her at that weight. Um, and you could debatably, you know, I, I would have given the decision to Clarissa, but it was that close. Um, you know, she got taken down. She got clipped a few times. Just looking slow. She threw a lot more big, big, big shots, big overhand rights and things like that that landed. She did land them more damage, but Kelsey had control time in the uh, first and third, I believe. Landed some shots of her own. Um, so a long way to go for Clarissa Shields, who had had hopes of beating Amanda Nunez and others. So interested to see the journey here. We'll keep documenting it, but I just have not been overly stoked about how she's performed, especially when they're getting random ladies off the street to fight for her weight. There's now the rumors of her fighting uh, back in boxing, fighting a girl that's that's high quality, I guess. And there is drama with her and um, Cyborg, Chris Cyborg, so we'll see what's next for Clarissa, but she needs to keep focusing on the gym. But as a person, you got to relate to her. She does good in her press conferences, very personable. You know, she's no fluff. She's She is who she is. And she talks about you need to have time in the gym. I think on the MMA hour, uh, Ariel Hawani asked her about the Ryan Garcia call out of uh, Sugar Sean. Got the Sugar Swag on here. And... She was saying, yeah, there's no way Ryan Garcia could do that in just a few months of training. You know, he needs to learn grappling and all that takes a very long time. So at least she has the awareness. She knows she has a lot of work to do. She does get the victory. That's all that matters. Also in the prelims, we had Aaron Pico uh, with a round one TKO over Henry Corrales. I mean, Henry's been there, done that. He's pretty old. Aaron Pico showcasing what he can do as these two had fought earlier in his career. And really put put to work Henry Corrales and got the finish at the end of the first round. Not a super exciting fight. And then the fight that I thought might be one of the more intriguing fights on the card. AJ McKee getting a round one triangle arm bar over Clay Collard for the submission victory. And he got a very easy takedown. Way too easy on Clay. 
and made slight work with him in probably 20-something seconds, so we did not see much happen there. Clay Collar, known for a uh, a slugger, uh, a kind of sloppy, big power shot guy. We did not get to see him throw much of anything, but AJ McKee is that dude. He is a very, very quality fighter. Two ex-UFC guys, kind of an interesting fight here. We had Yoel Romero with the unanimous decision victory over Tiago Santos. And at the age of damn near 50, I did not see Yoel Romero getting a decision victory by any means. You would think that a finish was really his only option. But Tiago Santos got his legs chopped up early by Yoel Romero and did not throw a lot of strikes, was very passive, just kind of in the moment, tried to make a last hurrah late in the fight, but it was too little too late. Not a ton of action in this fight besides Joel Romero's leg kicks. It was one of those, you know, non-high-volume Romero affairs. And then we had uh, Vadim Nemkov with a round-two submission via arm triangle. Um, very nice quality win for him at the heavyweight division. You can see he is a lot smaller than his opponent. I did not mark his opponent here. He was a previous PFL uh, million-dollar winner. Bruno Capaloza. I mean, Bruno was just a, a lot bigger. I'm not too sure why Vadim has gone up to heavyweight. Um, there's a lot of rumors there with some uh, en enhancers and the drug testing of PFL slash Bellator. Um, but either way, he, he showed the heavyweights. He's going to be a problem. Nice slick arm triangle, a couple nice arm triangles. Love me. Uh, that submission, and it was just too easy for him in the second round. First round, they were measuring each other. You could see Vadim was respecting Bruno's power, landed some good combinations, was tiring him out, and the second round got the takedown easy submission. Not a ton of excitement in that fight either. Jason Jackson with the decision victory over Ray Cooper the third. Uh, that was a uh, round two TKO for Jason Jackson. Jason has looked very quality. Ray Cooper, a little bit of a veteran, a little bit older, just wasn't able to hang. And um, I did pick Pico, did pick AJ. I picked Tiago, got that one wrong, picked Vadim, and pick, picked Jason. So I wasn't really shocked about these. I think the more intriguing performance and how the fight played out was a Johnny Eblen split decision over Impa Kasagane, one of the actual champion versus champion bouts. And they're only doing three round affairs as there were supposed to be so many champions. They did not have time for all fives. They could have made this a five-round fight, but I thought Johnny was going to starch Impa between the grappling, between the striking, but Impa was actually outstriking Johnny through a lot of the fight, knocked him down early, put him in a really tough position, but credit Johnny Eblen for being able to battle through that, be able to you know overcome that round, get into the second round, and be able to um, you know control the fight and make it more of his style fight, had some top control time, had some good combinations land, and uh, Impa really did have his chance. But the, the funny thing about this is, is Johnny going viral for an $85,000 shopping spree with an OnlyFans model. And she went viral saying that she's going to not be with Johnny unless he wins. So he got to keep the win. Uh, but this was a lackluster performance uh, for Johnny Eblen, if you ask me. He trains with the best, trains with Sean Strickland and a lot of the top guys. A lot of people think that he could come into the UFC and be potentially, you know, a contender in the division. And I just did not see that. He may be getting a little complacent. 
Maybe too much OnlyFans and shopping sprees. Who knows? And then in the heavyweights, we saw uh, Henan Ferreira with a quick round one knockout over Ryan Bader. I think six seconds, big overhand right. I mean, Ryan Bader, almost 40 years old. You could see the size differences between these two cats. And the PFL can't be more happy than that result because now there is the intrigue of potentially him and Francis Ngannou. As they're saying, Ngannou gets the winner of this fight. I had no interest in seeing Ngannou versus Bader. I would assume Ngannou could make slight work of uh, Ferreira, especially if he wants to grapple. But that will story will be told later. And I'm assuming it's going to have to determine what happens in the Anthony Joshua fight. If Ngannou starches Anthony Joshua, you, do you think he's going to want to fight in PFL MMA? He'll probably get an offer to fight Tyson Fury again or something else in the boxing world. If he loses to Anthony Joshua in a uh, heavy decision, a clear-cut decision, I'm sure then he'll come to the MMA. So, to be determined. But, uh, you know, this this Renan Ferreira guy is the real deal. I, I've been a big believer in him since I've seen him fight. I figured he'd win the PFL season this year. The guy is 34 years old, but still a very raw fighter. He has one, two, three, four knockouts in a row. Um, Maurice Green, Matthew Scheffel, Dennis Goldsov, and Ryan Bader. So that's going to be the best heavyweight in the PFL umbrella for Francis Ngannou. Should be fun. Overall, decent event. Um, you know, a six-second for the heavyweights. We didn't get to see a ton. Johnny Eblen looked lackluster. Not a lot of excitement. The Nemkov, Jason Jackson, Yuel Romero, AJ McKee, Aaron Pico, or Clarissa Shields fight. So in my opinion, a little bit of a miss here. They had an outdoor arena. There was not a ton of people there. It, it didn't seem sold out. It wasn't very loud. The energy was kind of interesting. So really excited to see how the UFC does as they were originally supposed to have the Riyadh Saudi Arabia card. Supposedly they had some fights fall through, so they're trying to set that up again. We'll see the, the comparisons here. But Bellator overall putting the team on their back 6-1 and one against the PFL fighters, some champions. And I am not surprised here at Bose and TKOs. Other than that, coming up this weekend outside of the Fight Night card, we have UFC Fight Pass Inventational 6. This will be Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific. Some decent fights with some with some UFC fighters involved. We have Raquel Canudo taking on Carol Hosa. Um, she has been pretty solid in her last few fights. will be interesting to see her in the grappling we have Gigi Canudo taking on Denise Gomez. We have Nicholas Marigali. Everyone loves uh, some Nicholas Marigali taking on Mathus Denise. And then in the co-main, we have Nikki Rodriguez taking on Roberto Jimenez. And in the main event, Craig Jones, who just uh, did karate uh, combat karate and submitted Phil Rowe against the wall, one of the craziest jumping uh, triangle chokes that you'll see. But he's taking on Rafael Lovato. So if you want to get some good grappling, see the UFC fighters' grappling ability. If you have fight pass, that's going down this Sunday. I just like watching Craig Jones and Nicky Rodriguez more than anything on this card. And Nicholas Marigali. Haven't been doing jiu-jitsu for a while. Hurt my tailbone. Snowboarding. Uh, got the flu. Got a cold. Was on a ski trip. Ready to get back in there, but it's, it's good for me to watch what these guys can do, although I'm mostly training in the gi these days. But moving on, we had UFC Fight Night Mexico City. 
I went seven and two in my picks. Overall, 37 episodes in, I am 232 wins, 107 losses, five no contests or draws. On the year, we sit at 39 and 21 with two no contests or draws. So racking up those dubs. Some good fights that we did not break down. Mostly due to injury, Muhammad Naimov got a round one TKO over Eric Silva. Stepped back in the cage, blew out his knee. We had Ronaldo Rodriguez with a round two submission via rear naked choke over Dennis Bondar. What a performance by Ronaldo Rodriguez. Excited to watch the, his career progress. We had Edgar Chires with a round one submission via triangle choke over Daniel Lacerda. I thought the fight was off after the big miss. I think two pounds by Lacerda, five pounds by Chires. They let the fight go, gets triangle choked. There's the end of that drama as it was an early stoppage before. We have Manel Torres with a round one submission via rear naked choke over Chris Duncan. What a performance by him and Team Mexico as they went six and four in their fights. So a lot better than what Canada did, uh, but still took some L's. But we're going to kick this thing off in the prelims where Mexico did not come out on top. We called it. We had uh, Yoni Barcelos with a round three submission via rear naked choke over Christian Quinones. And this was a weird kind of, you know, series of events early in the fight. Um, in round one, Rayoni, Yoni, I've heard them both. I just keep it as Rayoni. Uh, Barcelos' corner said he had to get his shoulder popped back in at the end of the round. Separated his shoulder, popped it back in. He kept fighting. Didn't even act like his shoulder was popped out. The play-by-play the -play crew was even like, man, he didn't even know. He had some blatant face grabs, though, to, to help defend takedowns. They did not give him a point deduction. The first one is as bad as it got. He got a second one. Um, a point deduction here could have been, made a big difference if it went to the scorecards, but he made sure it did not. And in the fight, Christian was definitely the aggressor. I thought he won round one. Round two, both guys traded shots and rocked each other. It was a straight chaotic round. But round three, Rayoni showed what he, you know the experience that he has. He got a takedown, found the neck pretty quickly, got that rear naked choke synced in. Statistically, Barcelos landed 48 total strikes, 43 of those significant. He only had two takedowns in 12 attempts. Not very um, successful, but the one that mattered in the third round is what counts. He did have two submission attempts. And Quinones landed 43 total, 29 significant. He had two takedowns in seven attempts, so not a ton of success either. And he had three minutes of control time, so he was able to hold Rayoni down early. So Rayoni ends his two-fight losing streak. He now starts a new winning streak. He is 2-3 and three since 2022. Christian extends his losing streak to two. He moves to 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Where do these gentlemen go next? I would love to see Barcelos scrap Douglas Silva de Andrade. I think that would be a certified banger. And for Christian, he could fight Casey Kenny in a return fight or Brad Katona, who's been on a skid. That would make a ton of sense. In the main card, you know, I was not super high on the depth of this card and fights, fighters and fights that I was not as excited about. You know, obviously they're plugging this with Mexican fighters. But the fight that I cared about, I was making sure I was tuning in. I had my cousins here, smoking a cigar, having a good time outside. Beautiful evening here in the valley. And I tuned it all out to tune in for this bad boy. 
We had Brian Ortega, T-City, with a round three submission via arm triangle choke. Been seeing a lot of these chokes, man. It's a deadly submission over Yair Rodriguez. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. Welcome back. And what a just full-fledged situation this fight was. I mean, Brian, first off, I want to congrats. Uh, I think his name is OG, the guy that runs the Full Send MMA Instagram. Guy's been grinding on his own, got signed by Full Send. Love what he's doing, the way he possessed this interview of, I don't want to ask Brian Ortega the fighter. I want to ask Brian Ortega the person, how you feeling? Because we're all wondering that. Us diehard MMA fans, the guy's been out. He had the drama with Tracy Cortez. He's been injured. We wanted to know in this fight, has he been taking his shit seriously? Is he able to, over, to, able to overcome those obstacles? I assumed he would. Or was he letting life defeat him and beat him up a little bit? But four injuries, I believe four surgeries, and he said he went through personal hell in the past year. So through all that, he continued to train hard. He's, he's getting himself right mentally. He said he found Jesus. He's married, has a new boo thing, has his kids around. So it seems like he is in the best uh, mindset and best version of himself after all those things. Sometimes life hands you the biggest obstacles. You come out of them a better man. And this fight clearly showcased that Brian Ortega is moving on. He is dedicated because what he went through in this evening in front of Mexico City, he is an absolute dog to over overcome that mentally, physically, spiritually, the fucking whole package. Before the fight even started, he's doing his warm-up jumps in the corner. Boom, sprained his ankle right before the bell. And all of us are just like, oh shit, Brian is cursed, had the shoulder injury, didn't even get to start the fight, rolled his damn ankle, acted like it didn't matter, was moving good, battled through it. He overcame that and got his ass pounded in round one. Yair Rodriguez went for broke trying to get the finish. He had T-City rocked on numerous occasions, but Brian did not give up. He withstood the storm. And in about a minute and a half left in the fight, I was like, if Brian makes it through this fight and he can control the beginning and the narrative of round two, I guarantee you he wins this fight. Yair went very aggressive for the finish. You would think he'd have the cardio to go, you know, a full 15 minutes. He's fought five-round fights before. Oh, yeah, and by the way, I didn't realize this was a five-round co-main. Sometimes they do that, sometimes they don't. I love that that was the case. It didn't make it that far. But the further this fight went on, I had a feeling that, that Brian was going to make it happen. And at the beginning of round two, Brian made the fight his fight. Good boxing, clean boxing. He got takedowns. He had top control. He continually wore on Yair. Uh, and Yair tired himself out trying to finish Brian early and just try to survive when you have a first-degree black belt and BJJ on top of you with top control, though. That's bad news. And Brian is such a damn well-rounded fighter um, that he was going to find ways to land shots, takedowns, show off the jiu-jitsu. And he did one thing really well. The one thing I thought he would do. He was going to be in this close range with Yair and not stand at that striking range where he has those spinning attacks, his really good kicks. He was close in there boxing in the telephone booth. And when they were striking, that paid massive, massive dividends 
for Brian Ortega. And the rest of the fight was a T-City style fight. And golly, did it look good. I mean, come on. Loved it. Felt good. I got the goosebumps. I got the chills. What an amazing performance. And what a way to overcome adversity. Most men in the UFC, which is the best of the best fighters in the world, do not overcome that. Brian Ortega, you're a dog. Now, statistically, Yair landed 64 total strikes, 55 of those significant, and a knockdown, which was early, man, compared to Brian's 47 total strikes, 28 of those significant. He had three takedowns and six attempts. He loved 50% or better. He had the submission attempt in five minutes and 21 seconds of control time. Now, Brian ends his two-fight losing streak. He starts a new winning streak. His first win in the UFC since October of 2020. I was thinking about this the other day. What the hell was I doing in October of 2020? What a different world. That's a long time. COVID days locked up in Seattle. Bravo, Brian Ortega. It's been a long road coming. He does move up one spot in the rankings to number three. Yair extends his losing streak to two. He is two and two since 2022. But really, he's one and two because of that Ortega injury. It wasn't a clear win. He moves down one spot in the rankings to number four. So what's next for these dudes? Well, I personally don't think that Brian Ortega is going to fight for the title. I would love to see Brian Ortega um, fight somebody like Arnold Allen next, if that's the case. They haven't fought. Uh, Arnold's coming off a loss. He's still a freaking world beater and looked good against an undefeated Movsar Avloev. And fight for Yair. How about a striking battle with the ninja, Giga Chikadze? Let's make those happen. But gosh, darn it. Bravo, T-City. And then the shocker, man. I did not see this coming. Short notice, raw dog. We had Brandon Roy Ball with a split decision victory over Brandon Moreno. And after him getting the opportunity to rematch Pantoja, all these dudes in the flyweight division, it's just a logjam. They keep getting second opportunities. You would think that Brandon Roy Vall's career is going on a trajectory stock down. If you did not sell it, you got to sell that stock. Well, he comes into Mexico City. He lives at in Denver and trains at 8,000 feet, so elevation ain't no thing. And he put it to Brandon Moreno in Mexico. Would not have guessed that was going to be the case at all. Brandon Moreno has looked fantastic. Some of the most entertaining and freaking high-volume fights in UFC history. And then he puts on a performance like this in front of Mexico. I'm just shocked. But Brandon has gone through different coaches and camps, it's been a long road, but you would think he would be the best polished version of himself, especially trying to get back in a title fight. But he was working with James Krause, which if you don't know that story, that will not be the case anytime soon as he is blackmailed from the UFC and is maybe going to federal prison. But in that James Krause fight, he really had Brandon Moreno looking good against, uh, um, what's the city kickboxing guy? Oh, man, I'm blanking. Um, the flyweight that trains out of city kickboxing. Da-da-da-da-da. Um, 
Kai Kara France looked fantastic. Got a TKO stoppage at Divison in the final fight. And then he has a low volume performance against freaking Brandon Moreno. Anyway, or against Brandon Roy Ball. Two Brandons. But either way, Brandon was just super uh, patient and not as aggressive as we usually see him, especially in round one. I thought it was just kind of a weird vibe from round one. And to make things even more intense, much like Brian Ortega, Roy Ball showed how tough this dude is and how he don't give a shit. He's going to give it everything he has no matter what. He supposedly tore his MCL, they're saying, but hurt his knee early from a kick. You could see he was being weird on his leg. Um, the UFC um, play-by-play team was all over it, saying every, something's going on, something's going on. He wasn't throwing kicks that he had success uh, had as a ton of success with in round one after that injury. Plus, again, he took this fight on short notice, uh, had about a month to, pre- to prepare after his uh, loss for the title shot against Pantoja in December. But in round one, not a ton of action. I gave round one to Moreno because I did think he had the more damaging shots. He was having a nice uh, look with that overhand right. And the second round, these guys got warmed up a little bit. It was a little bit more active. And I thought Brandon actually, again, stole the round by getting better shots. He did get the takedown, which I think stamped the round. So early on, not a lot of activity, but Brandon sneaking rounds. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, Brand or Moreno, he's trying to play the championship game for a full five rounds. He is going to start coming alive, especially with the whatever leg injury that uh, Roy Ball had. You're like, okay, this is going to be the Moreno show. Well, round three, Raw Dog came out. He came alive. He was the aggressor. He landed more strikes. He threw a ton more volume. And he clearly easily won that round. And again, I am just stunned by how low of a volume uh, Brandon Moreno threw, especially throughout the, the the championship rounds. You know, Roy Ball was not having beautiful defense. His leg was compromised. He, he didn't have a lot of head movement to avoid the shots. He was just sitting there countering and landing that big right. If he would have pushed the pace and came in and had a couple combos and, and pushed him towards the middle of the octagon... I do honestly think Moreno wins this fight. He was not doing that. I'm not too sure what was going on. You could hear his coaches in between rounds trying to fire him up like you want a shot for that title again. You're in Mexico. Like, like, let's go. But again, all the different camps. Who knows if there was some health things. I, I doubt that's the case, but you just never know with the fighter what's going on fight night. It just was a weird version of Brandon Moreno I did not expect at all. And round four and five, Brandon Roy Ball dominated, easily won the rounds. So rounds one and two, super close. I gave him to Moreno, but I did think Roy Ball won the last three to get this win. And I was just as shocked as anybody, especially Mexico City, which was chaotic, by the way. The fans were wild. There was that, you know, they asked Dana about this after the fight. That wild brawl in the crowd that lasted like two minutes, like 15 dudes. One guy just getting freaking knocked straight out. Uh, it was interesting to see. Uh, nothing like a good old fight night in Mexico. But statistically, Brandon landed uh, Roy Vall, I should say, landed. No, Moreno, because they're both Brandons. Moreno landed 119 total strikes, 112 of those significant. He had three takedowns and five attempts, so he was getting the takedowns when he tried. Probably could have done more of that. 
He had two minutes and 54 minutes of control time. And he still landed a decent volume, like 120 strikes over five rounds. But that's not the normal pace for Brandon Moreno in a championship fight. If you look at those Divas and Figueredo fights and others, I bet you it's a lot, lot higher. And Raw Dog, Roy Vall landed 177 total. 145 of those significant, so quite a bit higher volume. He had to take down himself in two attempts. So now Moreno extends his losing streak to two. He is two and three since 2022 and moves down one spot in the rankings to numero dos. Roy Vall starts a new winning streak and moves to four and one since 2022. He moves into the number one contender spot. So where do these guys go next? I think you got to do Brandon Roy Vall and Amir Albazi for the title eliminator fight. Albazi originally supposed to fight Moreno, pulls out due to injury. That's the title eliminator fight. Sick of all these rematches and duplicate fights. Um, I think that'll be easy to make that decision. Um, but it might not be with Roy Vall losing to Pantoja twice. Um, you know, very easy to put him in a title picture anytime soon. So who knows what the UFC is going to do there, but I think that's the fight to make. Uh, you know, we don't really want to see a, a Roy Vall Pantoja 3. I mean, I personally don't, and I love Roy Vall. Uh, but I'm going to guess that's the way it does. Albazi, I think, could really use another top-tier opponent before a title shot. So let's just make that happen. And, you know, there's the rumor of Triple C wanting to fight Brandon Moreno with the past drama. Maybe that could make sense, but does Brandon move up in weight classes? Is it a catchway? Like, who knows? And I really don't want to give any benefit and power to Triple C after that last performance. So let's book him against Mathus Nikolaou, who's looked really good in the flyweight division. But that was UFC Mexico City. This weekend, we got another Apex card. Prelims at 10 a.m. Pacific. Main card at 1 p.m. Pacific on ESPN+. Not a lot of good fights early that I'll be breaking down. But we will kick this bad boy off in the prelims. We got CLD, Christian Leroy Duncan, 28-year-old fighter with a 9-1 record, taking on Claudio Ribeiro, 31 years old with an 11-4 record. Now, CLD is a very fun prospect with some very good striking abilities. He has a non-traditional, long-rangey attack arsenal, and he is matched up with a knockout artist, who is in his prime, but is still trying to really get things going in the UFC. He's had mixed re results early in his career. Now, Christian is a Cage Warriors alum. He's 2-1 in the UFC. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He has fought three times last calendar year in 23, and that was his first year in the UFC. Seven of his nine wins are via knockout. Now, Claudio is a Contender Series alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two two in the UFC. 11 of his 11 wins are via knockout. Two of his four losses are also via knockout. To knockout or to be knocked out. And I personally think that CLD, his movement, I think that's going to really help him avoid the big shots from Claudio early in this fight. I do expect Claudio to be aggressive Looked to get a finish early. So if CLD could weather the storm, stay at range, land some nice teep kicks, I think he's going to be able to keep Claudio at that kicking range and land big shots of his own. I think he could wear him out, 
especially going into rounds two and three and potentially even get a late finish. I am taking Christian Leroy Duncan, but I am avoiding him on a parlay where possible. This is a close fight. Then in the prelim headliner, we have Javid, the Snow Leopard Basharat, 28 years old with an undefeated 14-0 record, taking on Ayman Zahabi, 36 years old with a 10-2 record. And for me, this is just another great opportunity to get a look at Javid. You know, at 28 years old, he's entering his prime, stepping up the competition ladder board in the UFC. And we get to see what he can do against Ayman, who's a little bit of an older fighter at 36 years old, but is on a three-fight winning streak. You know, only fought one time a year, so hasn't been super active. But it's still quality competition for the Snow Leopard. And, uh, you know, Javid is about as well-rounded as it gets. I do think he is a better fighter than Zahabi everywhere. But Zahabi does have two knockouts in his last three fights. So tune in. Breaking this down, Javid trains out of Extreme Couture. He's a Contender Series alum. He's undefeated on a 14-fight winning streak. He had his last uh, fight end in a no contest because of an accidental groin strike. But he is 4-0-1 in the UFC. Six of his 14 wins are via submission. Five via knockout. So 11 of his 14 wins are via finish. He has none of those finishes in the UFC thus far. The last one came in his contender series fight where he got his UFC contract. He also has a three-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, uh, Ayman Zahabi has a black belt in BJJ. He's on a three-fight winning streak. He is 4-3 and three in the UFC since 2017. So again, not a lot of fights. Six of his last 10 fights, though, are via knockout. Again, a good measuring stick for the Snow Leopard. I think this will be a competitive fight. Javid, I'm sure, will mix in a lot of grappling. I think that'll be too much for Sahabi to overcome. I would like to see Javid, if he's as good as they say he can be, get a finish because he has not had one in the UFC. But I will pick the Snow Leopard to stay undefeated. We put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on in the main card, we have Steve Astro Boy Ersig, 28 years old with an 11-1 record and the number 12 next to his name, taking on Matt Danger Snell, 34 years old with a 16-7 record and the number 9 next to his name. Much like Paulo Costa and the way I've been dogging him on pulling out of fights, when Matt Schnell is put in a fight, you have no idea what to think. He's pulled out of his last two fights. He didn't fight at all last year in 2023. So it's going to be interesting to see as we further the week, weigh-ins coming, if this fight actually is going to happen. Um, but Steve really has come onto the scene since entering the UFC, has looked very good of late. So this is a high-quality flyweight showdown. Breaking it down, Steve is on a 10-fight winning streak. He is 2-0 in the UFC. Six of his 10 wins are via submission. And Matt trains out of AKA. He has a black belt in karate, a purple belt in BJJ. Two of his last three fights have been fight of the night, so when he's been fighting, they've been fantastic. He is an ultimate fighter and legacy FC alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 since 2022. 
Nine of his 16 wins are via submission. Four of his seven losses are via knockout. Now, this is really going to be a fun fight. You know, Schnell been battling injuries. He's lost to quality fighters. He's fought some of the best. But it'll be interesting to see how ready he's stayed, how healthy he's been coming into this fight. The fights that he did uh, fight recently were very, very close, including his win against Sue Maderi and Tyson Nam. Meanwhile, for Astro Boy, I think he's just the faster, cleaner striker. I think he's going to use that to his advantage. I would assume Matt does look to get in some takedowns in this fight, but if he does get them, I don't think he's going to hold Astro Boy down. For that reason, I'm taking Steve Ersig. We put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. Finally, we get Umar Nurmagomedov, the 28-year-old undefeated fighter with a 16-0 record, but he's taking on a new face to the UFC, Bekzat, the Turian, uh, the Turin warrior, Almakan, 26 years old with a 14-1 record. I really do wish Umar was fighting the best in the bantamweight division. Not a random fighter, maybe not random, but a fighter making his UFC debut, although he does have a good pro record. But Umar is saying nobody will take a fight with him. I'm just excited to see him back in the octagon, see how he looks. Rumor is that if he wins this, he may uh, potentially be able to fight uh, Corey Sanhagen, and that is the fight that we all need to see. Breaking this one down, Umar, of course, like a Nurmagomedov would, has a Sambo style. He trains at AKA as a Southpaw fighter. He won gold in the 2015 WCSF Combat Sambo World Championships. He's a Fight Night Global and PFL alum. Obviously, he's undefeated on a 16-fight winning streak. He is 4-0 in the UFC. And seven of his 16 wins are via submission. Now, Bekzad is on an eight-fight winning streak. Twelve of his 14 wins are via knockout. With that said, I am not going to overcomplicate this. Umar is going to be a way better fighter in this fight. It's all going to come down, especially with Bekzad having 12 knockouts. Could he potentially go for broke and try to get that knockout? I'm sure he will. But I am taking Umar. We are putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Let's look at the odds here. Umar's a minus 1,200, so I may or may not put him on the parlay just because he's such a heavy favorite. And I have no idea. Besides, Bexot's a knockout guy, decent little record, but he hasn't fought in big promotions, so who knows? But moving on, we got some heavy hitters. We got Eric, your boy, Anders, 36 years old with a 15-8 and record, taking on Jamie the Night Wolf. Pickett, 36 years old with a 13 and 10 record. Now this, I say it a lot, is going to be a certified banger. Both dudes throwing down, meeting in the middle of the octagon for a fan favorite show. I do think the loser of this fight is potentially off the UFC roster. So not only are it two heavy hitters meeting in the middle of the octagon, but they have everything on the line. Breaking it down, Eric has a kickboxing and BJJ style. He trains here in Phoenix at a fight-ready MMA. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator and LFA alum. 
He's a former LFA champion. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 since 2022. Nine of his 15 wins are via knockout. Now, Jamie has a brown belt in BJJ. He is a legacy FC and contender series, a rare three-time alum, third time's the charm. He is on a four-fight losing streak, and his last win was January of 2022. Nine of his 13 wins are via knockout. Four of his 10 losses are via submission, but he does sport a seven-inch reach advantage. Now, Eric, he's fought some close scraps. I think he is the more well-rounded fighter here. I like his boxing, his striking skills. He's shown really good cardio for how big of a muscular dude he is. In his last three round fights, he's had a ton of volume. And I do feel like I've seen a lot of improvement in him, although he's at 36 years old. And for Jamie, I feel like he's been on, on a slide a little bit. He hasn't got a finish since his third contender series stint in August of 2020. For that reason, I'm taking your boy, Eric Anders. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Vegas odds has doesn't even have this fight on there on this thing. So I don't know who's the favorite in that fight. I don't know why they're, oh no, it's right here. Eric Anders minus 500. So they're, they're thinking he's a heavy favorite. I'm surprised. I thought it'd be closer. With three more fights in the main card, we got Muhammad, the Punisher Mukayev, 23 years old, sporting an undefeated 11-0 record, and the number eight next to his name, taking on Alex Perez, 31 years old, with a 24-7 record, and the number seven next to his name. Now, this is another fun, close battle. We got the flyweight veteran taking on the young killer, or should I say the Punisher, now, Alex is looking to use Makayev as a boost in his career. He's come off back-to-back -back losses. He did not fight in 2023, and he needs to get things going in his prime at 31. Muhammad Makayev would really get that going. And Muhammad, he's coming off a couple tough tests. He does keep passing the tests, uh, even in a, a knee bar and all. Breaking this down, Muhammad is a freestyle wrestling and submission grappling style fighter. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's a Brave alum, undefeated, 11-0. He is 5-0 in the UFC. Six of his 11 wins are via submission, and he does have a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Now, Alex has a wrestling BJJ and boxing style. Two of his last four fights have been performance of the night, so when he fights, he does show out. And this dude's been around. He's an RFA, King of the Cage, Cage Fury, and Contender Series alum. Seven of his 24 wins are via submission, and five of his seven losses are also via submission. So to submit or to be submitted. And it's interesting because Muhammad is quite the submission practitioner. Now, Alex did not fight last year. He has only fought once since 2020 and the loss against Alexander Panto Alexandre Pantoja. That fight did only last a minute and a half. His last three fights have been canceled, two of them of him pulling out due to injury. Again, he's in his prime. He's fighting a very good grappler, a solid striker, an improving striker in Mokayev. I just think Mokayev is going to put a pace and attack on Alex 
that he's not going to be ready to handle for 15 minutes after all the adversity he's been through. But it's going to be a fun one. I am taking Muhammad. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Especially, you know, he basically let his knee get shredded in his last fight to not tap and get the win. Um, I mean, this kid, young man, is committed. He's mentally strong. Hopefully that knee didn't take a lot of damage that affects him. Uh, if that's the case, a lot more different of a situation. In the last two fights, we got big dudes with a lot of power. A lot of undefeateds in this card. We got Vitor Acau Petrino, 26 years old with an undefeated 10-0 record, taking on Tyson Pedro, 32 years old with a 10-4 record. And this is a fight that just is full of fighter potential. Tyson, he's in the middle of his prime. He's shown the power and explosiveness that he possesses. He has regained traction in his professional career because he did have four years off due to injury. But his last fight looked like the best um, Pedro that we've seen as he starched a very solid Anton Turcali in September. But he is taking on a savage, a young stud who has three finishes in his last four fights. Breaking this down, Vitor is a Contender Series alum. He is 4-0 in the UFC. He's coming off back-to-back finishes. Seven of his 10 wins are via knockout. Now, Tyson trains out of city kickboxing. He has a black belt in BJJ and Kempo Karate. He's on a one-fight winning streak, and he is 3-1 since returning from injury. Five of his 10 wins are via knockout, five via submission, so all 10 of his wins come via finish. you love to see it. Now, this first round is going to be so intense I'm sure, especially in the apex, you'll be able to hear a pin dropped. You'll be able to hear crickets with just a room full of anticipation. If Tyson can manage to get through the first round, I do think this fight is a lot more intriguing and interesting. But I do think Vitor's raw power mixed with the confidence of being undefeated, the aggressiveness that he has, it is going to be a ton of pressure, a ton of just raw power and it's going to be hard for everyone in this division to handle now vitor although he is powerful is still a raw fighter he's got a lot to improve on and clean up technically and tyson he trains with a very good camp you know he's going to come up with a good game plan he's going to look to stay out of range attempt to get vitor down uh, attempt to get him up against the cage i'm not betting that he will do that successfully to steal the win for that reason i'm taking vitor petrino and I'm putting them on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. And it looks like I picked all the favorites until the main event of the evening. We have Jarzinho, Biggie Boy Rosenstrike, 35 years old with a 13 and 5 record, and the number 12 next to his name, taking on Shamil Gaziev. 34 years old with an undefeated 12-0 record. Now, this main event, we are getting a UFC newcomer in Shamil. He's a contender series alum who has starched his his competition so far in the UFC. He is getting a top 15 mainstay in Jarzinho, who's coming off a loss against a very talented young up-and-comer. 
He hasn't had a very quality win since December of 2019 when he starched Alistar Overeem. But the losses, I mean, he's lost to Francis Ngannou, Cyril Gaon, Curtis Blades, Alexander Volkov, and Jaelton Almeida. Those dudes are different. And different than a 34-year-old 12-0 fighter and, Sh uh, and Shamil. I do think all of those dudes are better than Shamil, but this is going to be a hard-hitting war. I'm super pumped for the main event. Breaking it down, Jarzinho has a kickboxing background. He trains at an ATT. He has the latest finish in UFC heavyweight history at 4 minutes and 56 minutes in the third round against Olistar Overeem, Alistar Overeem. And that was the 2019 comeback of the year in that fight. He's a risen alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He's 1-2 since 2022. And 12 of his 13 wins are via knockout. Now, Shamil is a Brave and Contender Series alum. He's undefeated on a 12-fight winning streak, 2-0 in the UFC. Eight of his 12 wins are via knockout. And he has an interesting four-inch leg reach advantage. Now, don't get me wrong. I really do think Shamil is a talented dude. But Jarzinho is going to be the better and more slick striker. He's a kickboxer. He's going to bring in the leg kicks to try to eliminate the power. I do think Shamil has the power advantage. I think he's going to look for the knockout shot. But he has only been, uh, Jarzinho has only been knocked out twice in his UFC career. And that was against Francis Ngannou, the hardest hitting man on the planet. And in a final few minutes, in a very good fighter against Alexander Volkov. I don't think Shamil is at that level. I expect Rosenstrike again to use those leg kicks, immobilize Shamil, take that power away. And at only 35 years old, he's still in his prime. For that reason, I'm taking the underdog. I'm taking Biggie Boy. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. I may not put him on a parlay as an underdog, but I'm taking him, boy. Biggie Boy. But a fun early Saturday Apex affair. I'm already rocking it. Next weekend, your boys going to the 305 to Miami for a stacked UFC 299 headliner. We got the Sugar Show and still taking on Marlon Cheeto Vera in the rematch. And the co-main is just as sweet. We get a five-rounder a fight between Dustin the Diamond Poirier and a young rocket ship and Benoit Saint-Denis. It's going to be the UFC debut of Michael Page, the former Bellator superstar. We get the hometown stud Gilbert Durino Burns and former bantamweight champion Pewter Jan. And in the prelim headliner, you got Curtis Blades and Jaelton Almeida on the mother effing prelims. That's episode 37. I'll see you guys early next week before I head out. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.